I think that was just this idea like, oh, maybe I've been kind of missing out for the last few years, only focusing on the half and the full when maybe I should have been doing some 10K and 5Ks along the way and really trying to focus on the speed work. I've never gotten to this point of a marathon and still felt this good. That was Sarah Gollenvo, and this is episode 73 of the Inspired Souls podcast. Hi, I'm Carolyn, and I'm a roadrunner. And I'm Kim, and I'm a trail runner. Welcome to our podcast, where we bring the communities of trail and road running together and explore the parallels between running and life. This episode features one of my coaching clients, 35-year-old Sarah Gollenvo, and what led to her 14-minute PR of 3.41.30 at the Houston Marathon in January of 2022. When Sarah came to me just over a year ago, she had already experienced some great success, but she also had a hunch that she could be even faster. Sarah had run several marathons right around the four-hour mark and wanted to explore what she was capable of not only at that distance, but also in the 5K, 10K, and half marathon. In this conversation, we take you behind the scenes to see what led to this stunning performance breakthrough so you can progress ever closer toward your potential too. We discuss what made Sarah decide to hire a coach, the highs and lows of her three distinct training cycles, why easy days were more challenging for her than hard days, the difference that strength training made, why she almost didn't make it to the starting line of the Houston Marathon, and what she has her sights set on next. Sarah truly is a dream client. She shows up and does the work consistently. She's an excellent communicator, and she loves learning the why behind her training. If you're looking to level up your own training and racing, you might just want to take some notes from this conversation with Sarah Gollenbo. Hey, Sarah, thanks so much for joining us today on the podcast. Hi, guys. Thanks so much for having me. I'm excited to be here. Yes, we're really excited to talk to you. You and I have been working together for a little over a year now, and you just ran a phenomenal marathon in Houston <laughs> that we're going to unpack fully in this conversation. But I first have to ask you, have you come down from cloud nine yet since oh. January 16th? <laughs> I don't think so. It's been a very slow return down back mm -hmm. to earth. So I'm mm -hmm. still just really excited with how everything was executed and um, just really pleased with that. So yeah. Yes, you should be very <laughs> pleased. And we will get fully, fully into this marathon. But we do want our listeners to get an idea of who you are. So maybe you can start by telling us where you're from and what you do. Sure. My name is Sarah Gollenbo, and I am originally from Cedar Rapids, Iowa was raised there and then um, went to university there, studied to become a teacher. And then for my student teaching, I chose to actually go abroad and complete my student teaching for a semester in Guatemala City, Guatemala at an international school there. So um, I taught first grade and fifth grade while I was there. Um, and then before I completed my time there, there was somebody that left mid-year, so I was able to uh, be hired on in January for a full-time fourth grade teacher. And so I stayed there for another year and a half. So I taught in Guatemala for two years um, and then kind of caught the international teaching bug. After that, I moved to Abuja, Nigeria, and I taught fourth grade there for a couple of years as well. And then I moved to Monterey, Mexico, and I've been here for 10 years now. So <laughs> I, um, yeah, so I'm currently teaching 
sixth grade English here at an American school in Monterey, Mexico, which is about two and a half hours south of the Texas border. Mm-hmm. Okay, well, clearly all we ever do is talk about running because I knew none of that backstory. How (laughs) super cool that is. Yeah, yeah, Yeah. it's really great. It's been an awesome opportunity. And obviously, I mean, my goal was, okay, you know, I just want to teach and travel the world. And then within the first two years of being here in Monterey, I met a boy and um, he happens to be the librarian here at the school as well. And, you know, now we're married and still here. So, so. We had a uh, another friend of Carolyn's coaching a client of Carolyn's on the podcast last year named Melanie. Do you know Melanie? We are the closest of friends. Yes. Okay. <laughs> Excellent. Yeah. Yes. So um, I have to ask how you got into running. Was it as a student? Was it in some exotic place in all of your travels? What what sparked you to start running? <laughs> I was a runner kind of in middle school, high school. I mean, I was on my middle school track team and then I joined the high school track team and my coaches were just kind of like, we don't know what to do with you. You're not really good at any of the events. Um, I was just, you know, kind of there. So I became that, you know, the 400 runner because you don't know what else to be, to be done with. So um, I, after, I think I might've only been on the track team in high school for one year. And then it was just kind of suggested that I should focus on swimming. Um, And so I, I was a huge swimmer. And then after I graduated from high school and going into college, I just kind of slightly got into running on my own, just kind of to have something to do to keep me in shape. Um, And my mom and my sisters and I would every now and again kind of run a, you know, a Saturday 5K just for fun, you know, um, no pressure at all. And I kind of every year got progressively more into that. And at one point, (laughs) because I was young and (laughs) thought that I was unbreakable. I just decided that, you know, maybe I should try a half marathon. Um, And so my older sister and I trained together and we ran our first half marathon together. And from there, I was like, yeah, I'm going to definitely run a marathon. And that didn't go very well. (laughs) I trained for it and then got injured before the race actually happened. And so that was always kind of, um, you know, in the back of my mind, I'm going to, you know, someday come back from this, I'm going to run a marathon. Um, But then, like I said, I, I moved abroad. And so when I was in Guatemala, um, just kind of ran again every now and again. It wasn't anything serious. But then when I was in Nigeria, I had a couple of friends who were from Montana originally. And, you know, they decided that they were going to run the Missoula Marathon. And that ended up being my very first marathon. So I trained for my very first full, like, two-completion marathon while I was living in Nigeria. Um, and then from there, I was like, okay, <laughs> I was able to run my first marathon. I think I can, I can do this better. And then when I moved here to Monterey, it's just a really rich running community. You know, there were races almost every other weekend. So I just kind of really picked it up and kind of got into a stride once I was here. Okay. And so over the last 10 years, like, did you mostly spend your time running marathons and half marathons or did you try different distances in that time? It was definitely half marathons and marathons in university, you know, with my mom and sisters, we would run a couple of 5Ks. But once that had passed, I never really kind of returned to racing a 5 or a 10K. I just always loved the longer distance and just, you know, those ideas of, of the training and being able to run far and long on a Saturday, that was more appealing to me. And so my focus was on the half and full marathons. 
Okay. All right. And, and how did you, how did your half and full marathons come along over those <laughs> 10 years? Like sort of what, what did you do your first one in like that Missoula one? And then where, how did it go after that? Yeah, it was around the five hour mark is what I ran that first Missoula marathon in. It was, you know, it was just running to run a marathon <laughs> and get it done. And then I actually went back the next summer and ran it. And so my second marathon, that was like right around the 430 mark. And so it was kind of one of those, you know, you have no idea what you're doing the first time you run a marathon. And then the second time you're like, oh, okay, I know a little bit about how to run this and how to run a smarter race. So kind of, you know, was maybe averaging one marathon a year or every other year. And then with the halves, those were a little bit easier, obviously, to kind of train for in, in frequency, right? It doesn't take as long to train and recover from. But I wasn't necessarily making any groundbreaking times on them. I was just kind of doing it because, you know, oh, yeah, sure, there's a half marathon in a month. Let's, you know, just see what we can do. So um, I don't know that I got too serious about it um, until a couple of years living into living here in Mexico. And then a friend of mine, Doug, um, and I signed up for the Austin half marathon. The stars kind of aligned with that in terms of training and weather and a great race. And I ran uh, my first kind of like, oh, that's actually, I feel like a decent time for a half marathon. (laughs) So was that the first time you kind of got a little glimpse of like, maybe I could be good at this? Yes. Yeah. Okay. And that was maybe around like 2015, 2016. Perfect. And did you ever have that same experience with the marathon where you're like, I think I could be good at this? It took a really long time to get there. (laughs) Um, I would say actually back in Austin, Melanie and another friend of ours, Nicole, and I ran the Austin Marathon in 2020. um, And that was my eighth time running a full marathon. And I finally broke the four hour mark. And that was when I was like, okay, (laughs) you know, I mean, it took me a while to get there, but that was kind of the first time that I thought like, maybe I could (laughs) be good at this. So were you self-coached through this whole time or did you have a coach at all through that period of time? I was self-coached. I, you know, would find a plan off of maybe runnersworld.com or something like that. Mm -hmm. Um, But other than that, yeah, it was just by myself. So what was it that made you decide in January of 2021, roughly a year ago, to hire a coach and namely our very own Carolyn? So after the Austin Marathon, I was chatting with my friend Mel and, you know, she was just saying, you know, it's amazing that you've kind of gotten to this point on your own. I wonder what you would be capable of if you had somebody that knew what they were doing. (laughs) to help guide you. Um, and so she was kind of the first one that planted the idea of, of seeking out a coach. But then, you know, uh, a month later, kind of the world shut down with COVID. And so things were put a little bit on hold. But that summer, Mel and I had chatted about, you know, well, we know that the marathon here in Monterey is going to be virtual, we should plan on running it. And so um, I think she reached out to you at that point, Carolyn. um, And I had actually reached out uh, to another running coach. And so I worked first with um, another running coach to do that virtual marathon. That was in December of 2020. And then I kind of put it on hold to see like, you know, is this the right thing? Um, and then chatting with Mel, she just uh, had nothing but rave reviews and great things to say about Carolyn. 
and so I made the decision to to switch over um, because I liked you know just this idea of again having somebody else's guidance, kind of you know the expertise about you know this is what a workout should look like, and I you know the virtual marathon might not have gone as I wanted to, because I think we all realize, you know, virtual sounds amazing, but in reality, it really sucks. <laughs> it's yeah. not great. <laughs> um, and so uh, just kind of reached out just again to kind of have, you know, build that relationship and, and to try to continue on with to see where I could go from there. Okay. So you've well established why Carolyn, but can you clarify a little bit more why a coach period? Like what, what were you looking for in that next leveling up in what way, what were you looking for? Well, definitely. I think my ultimate goal was to be faster, but I also think as well, doing so much research on my own, there was kind of, you know, oh, this is how you should be doing these kinds of runs. And this is how you should be doing this. And so just kind of even in terms of getting help and how to structure a plan for myself, Mm -hmm. and, you know, learning a little bit about if I want to run a race in this kind of time, what do tempos look for me? What is, you know, what do intervals might look like? Um, and so just kind of learning more about how to structure that weekly run and mileage and, and ideas like that. But definitely, ultimately, my goal was to, to run faster to get, you know, a personal best for myself. Mm-hmm. Well, and it really sounds like Melanie and and just, we keep talking about this Melanie. So she was, (laughs) if you want to go back and listen, Melanie's episode was fantastic. And she, we interviewed her in episode 18, but it sounds like Melanie really kind of like planted that little seed of belief in you. Like, Mm -hmm. huh, I think you've got more, more in you. And, and sometimes it does take those people, right? Partly that's what a coach does as well. But it sounds like Melanie was really that first person to be like, let's, you you need to explore what you're capable of. And so in January, you reached out to me, but actually, so you'd come off of these multiple marathon cycles, half marathon, Mm -hmm. kind of the longer distances. But interestingly, the very first (laughs) thing that you hired me for was to train you for a 10k 10k that was happening in March of 2021 and you hadn't raced a 10k in a really really long time so Mm -hmm. what made you want to revisit the 10k after all those years of marathoning yeah so actually I think Mel and I both made the decision that you know after this marathon again knowing that we were still going to be in virtual mode that you know it might be nice just to revisit things that maybe again we haven't spent most of our previous running years focusing on and so we just thought it would be kind of fun to say like hey what does it look like to train for a 10k it, we know it's going to be virtual but still like let's go through this process of doing that and just see what we're capable of there and so, you know, we signed that we had planned on signing up for just a virtual race that was here in Monterey, and we decided to go for it. But I think as well, we kind of, you know, again, coming off of that training cycle for the virtual, that's, you know, four, four and a half months long of training for a marathon. I think it was nice to, you know, to just be able to see a, a race in sight versus, you know, okay, I'm signed up for another, you know, three to four months. It was like, okay, this isn't actually going to be that much of a, a super long cycle too. So it was kind so of So how nice. long was that cycle? Oh, Carolyn. It was mid-March that your 10K was. So it was about um, two months. Okay. Yeah, about yeah. eight weeks, nine weeks at yeah. the most. 
Yeah. But you would come off of a marathon mm-hmm. cycle. And so I knew you had the the volume yes. kind of under your belt uh, yeah. that it was really just getting revisiting that speed. And I right. actually loved that you came to me with this because a lot <laughs> of times that is the stone that isn't unturned, especially for people that have done a lot of long distance stuff back to back. And they keep, you know, trying the marathon and trying the marathon and mm-hmm. trying the marathon. Sometimes it actually takes stepping away from the marathon and, and looking elsewhere for those performance breakthroughs. And right. so I was like, yay, <laughs> she's coming to the 10K. And so, um, yeah, that was, a, that was a lot of fun when you first came. But when we started working together, did anything surprise you? Did we do anything differently than you'd done before in some of your other builds? Well, coming to you, one thing that um, I was still learning about was how to slow down. (laughs) Um, And so, you know, this idea of, oh, I'm going to train for a 10K, 10Ks are fast, right? And so um, definitely learning how to slow everything down and take, you know, those easy days or the recovery days at a pace that I was not used to and I did not like and <laughs> did not want to focus on. <laughs> um, but then, you know, I think with the speeds, like I think those Tuesday workouts often that you gave me were almost at a faster pace than the 10K was going to be run just to, you know, kind of get that speed under the feet too, right? Mm-hmm. And so, um, you know, it had been a long time since I had done any kind of work like that at that speed at that tempo so that was something as well to kind of get used to to wake mm-hmm. up and get myself moving that or <laughs> that quickly that early yeah so. oh I know right because <laughs> you're an early morning runner yeah, yeah but you, we also kind of didn't really know what your 10k exactly. was right because it had been a number of years since you'd raced yeah. one so do you remember what your 10k PR was before you- I think we I think it had been about a 40 eight minutes. Yeah. Um, But again, that had been like so many years ago. And, um, and I think that was probably right around kind of when I had run the Austin half marathon as well. Mm -hmm. So, Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, so I think we were kind of loosely basing it off of that and, and just hoping for something under a 48. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Okay, so you already talked about uh, that one big change was the uh, you you love the hard workouts, right? And oh, so you're mm-hmm. like living for those Tuesdays when I let you like open up the throttle <laughs> and run fast. But it was just a lot of easy running for the most part, right? Wasn't it? Yes. And so was that a big adjustment in terms of like I can remember some days you writing and being like, I can't even run this slow, and that's something very common that that we do here is that the pace that you need to go to be truly aerobic and get Mm -hmm. those like best aerobic benefits or the best bang for your buck for the time you're spending on your feet is quite a bit slower than people have ever kind of given themselves permission to run right right? because we're we're runners we're type a like it's got to be hard or it's not working kind of a thing so so that was a big adjustment and how long would you say it took you to really embrace the the (laughs) Wednesday run especially right yes the Wednesdays were the worst you know, this was something that my, the coach that I had worked with from the the virtual marathon in the months before coming to you was also a big, a big fan of was those, you know, so the seed had been planted while I was working with her. Um, and so then that kind of continued with you. But honestly, I really don't think 
I truly embraced the slow, how slow that was, or kind of what a recovery run should feel like, what the Mm -hmm. easy run should feel like until this past summer of 2021. Um, So kind of even after that 10K training, the half marathon training that we did together. Um, So it's, it was almost a full year of kind of like being coached until that kind of was like, okay, now I feel as though I understand what this feels like. Was it difficult to, like, you're speaking to how hard it was. So you are speaking to how difficult it was to trust the process and be patient. But like, did you finally get it just because enough, you'd seen enough evidence that it works? <laughs> you started to see the payoff yes. and then you had full buy-in eventually. <laughs> yeah, I had definitely started yeah. to see the payoff. And as well, I think honestly, part of it, I think I came home this summer after just honestly a really exhausting year of being a teacher online during the pandemic. And I was just tired and done. And then, you know, going home to where my parents are, which is just outside of Chicago and just, you know, heat and humidity in the midst of like (laughs) late June and July. And just, I just couldn't, I didn't have enough energy really to run fast. And so it just kind of was like, okay, I think it was just that summer that it kind of started to, to kick in. And I feel like those benefits began Uh, to be seen then in the fall of 2021 and kind of beginning the Houston marathon training cycle and feeling like, okay, now I, I, I know what this pace actually feels like. I can actually do this, you know, even coming back in, into Monterey. So what I'm hearing is a really distinctive difference between your runs. Like you're, you're talking about Carolyn actually making you run faster than you'd really ever <laughs> or recently run before in the morning. And at the mm-hmm. same time, the dichotomy of, oh my God, she's making me also slog along like a slog. Uh-huh. So there was significant polarization yes. within not just a training block, but each week yeah. your runs were very, very different. Yes. And you weren't robbing your ability to do by the hard runs by trying to run too fast on your slow days. Yeah, that's such a good point, Kim. Yeah. And like it's it, and I think that's also true for a lot of people that I coach, right? It's like mm-hmm. that polarization is I get it. It's hard to really embrace that and trust that that is going to work when it's such a departure from maybe what you've done in the past. But along the way to that 10K, so the 10K was like the A race at the end of that cycle. But I think I had you do a 5K Mm -hmm. along the way. And so here you are doing all this easy running. And then every (laughs) once in a while, I let you out of the cage and and let you (laughs) let you run fast. Um, But talk to us about what happened in that first 5k. And it was funny too, when you came to me, I said, what are your PRs? Like, what's your 10 and five and half and full and everything. And you're like, I don't have I don't have a 5k PR. And you probably did from ages ago when you used to run with your mom and sister, but they were not top of mind. They were not anything that you'd committed to memory because it had been so long. So talk to us about the 5k. Sure. Well, and so, you know, again, running, like I said, with my mom and sister, I'm going to guess, you know, we were out there just easy peasy. I'm going to guess like 30, 35 minute, you know, times. So I really had no idea how to race a 5k, but we went in and did was it a time trial? Mm-hmm. I think that we added in. And so ended up running, I think around like a 2148. I was honestly stoked about that. Um, I had no idea even kind of what to expect. And just this idea that 
I was able to pull that out of the hat in the midst of, you know, the 10K training. And so, um, again, I think that was just this idea like, oh, maybe I've been kind of missing out for the last few years, only focusing on the half and the full when maybe I should have been doing some 10K and 5Ks along the way and really trying to focus on the speed work there. Um, but yeah, so that that was a really great um, kind of high in the midst of that 10K training. Okay. So you ran this 2148. 5k, which for those, you know, I know you, you think can live in miles. So what is that like low seven minute miles? I think it might be there? around low sevens. Yeah. Okay. So fast in my world, that's super fast. <laughs> now, what were these Wednesday recovery training runs ran at? I, I suspect they weren't even eight minute miles or even no. nine minute miles. What were those at? Um, well, Carolyn always told me that there was no danger of running too slow. So it was significant suggested that I try to focus on like a 10 and a half to 11 minute mile. <laughs> there you go. So yeah. almost half the speed, yes. like, like 60% <laughs> the speed that you ran that 5k. In. Yes. So just like three and a half minutes per mile mm-hmm. slower, slower than your 5k yeah. pace, yeah. which no wonder it feels slow, right? <laughs> but at the same time, it's like you could do that and we didn't taper you and we didn't like specifically prep for the 5k right. this was just in the was... middle of 10k training but honestly that 5k was as much for my knowledge too because mm-hmm. it gave us a data point it gave us a, a little expression of your fitness and it helped to kind of guide the rest of your training going forward right so we get to the end of of that cycle that eight or nine week cycle it's mid-march towards the end of march and this 10K and it was virtual, right? It wasn't a real race. A virtual race came along. (laughs) Talk to us about that virtual race day. What did you do to make it feel as much like a race as it could be? (laughs) So the great thing about a virtual race, um, as much as I'm not a huge fan, is that you get to choose your course, right? And so, you know, Mel, uh, we had plotted our course. So she came and picked me up early. But to kind of, again, make it feel a little bit special. My husband actually had his bike and met me at about mile two and then rode his bike with me for the rest so that I would have kind of at least somebody cheering in. Um, And then my friend Ashley and actually Doug met up. So that was uh, really great, especially by the end when you're tuckered out, you don't have much to give. And so again, just to have those three people with uh, Jose and Ashley and Doug there, um, Mm -hmm. that really helped keep me going. And so you would come in with a 48.45 PR in the 10K. And do you remember what you did uh, in that virtual setting that day? I do. I actually, I had written it on my hand for the, my mm-hmm. goal time for the whole week. Um, and so I came in, I had wanted to do a 4630 and I came in, I think at a 46, was it a 28 or 29? Wow. 29. 29. So I beat it by a second. <laughs> and how happy were you at the end of that? Oh, again, again, I was on cloud nine um, yeah. and just so surprised, right? Because even I think you know, we had had the conversation uh, during the the training, you know, when I tossed out, you know, well, I think I've run a 48, you know, whatever before mm-hmm. as a 10K, but that just seems so fast. And so, you know, even like to think about those, because you were throwing out a couple of, well, I think this could be your pace for the race. And I was like, I, I don't know, my stomach kind of drops when I see those times. And so, you know, I had 
been hopeful, but still kind of at the same time, like, I don't know if this is going to be possible. So just, you know, when it all came together and, and that idea that like, okay, I just took off, you know, two full minutes off of a however many year old <laughs> 10K PR, it was just, it was a really good feeling. Awesome. And so, uh, and then we were done, right? So then, <laughs> then the, the immediately yeah. you turned around and said, okay, okay, we got to do this again. We got to, you know, train for a half marathon this time. So we, we immediately signed back on with our sights set on a May half marathon. So it's mm-hmm. end of March. And this was also a virtual kind of series, right? Where you were going to yeah. race, a, have another opportunity to race a five and a 10 along the way. Yeah. And so, what was that like as we got into half marathon training? Were there any big differences that you noticed uh, from the 10K training? There were actually a lot of similarities. I mean, especially we had an idea of kind of what I could go for on goal time, but it was all still, I think, kind of up in the air, right? Like, I think this could work. So even with pacing on those on those like tempo days, we were still pushing it. And I think there was even a lot of, if I remember right, there were a lot of days that we were kind of doing 10K speed work. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, a lot of the the days felt very similar. I think the only thing that kind of felt different was were those long runs on the weekend that, you know, the mileage was higher than it was for the 10K yeah. training. It kind of really made me happy because I felt, again, I love those speed days and I love, you know, the feeling of leaving everything <laughs> on the on the street after a hard workout and just being like oh my god that was exhausting but i feel amazing but at the same time i really love long runs and um, there's something yeah. about waking up on a weekend and just being like okay i'm going to go run for you know 2 hours 3 hours why not so yeah. training for that half marathon was just such a happy point for me right it was just kind of a mesh of those two things that i love so i'm told that you are the type of athlete that is very similar to myself and you like to know the why behind everything that you're doing and you keep carolyn a bit on her toes so that's good um in so, the best way possible in the best way possible no and, and honestly those are the best kind of athletes to coach is the ones that really want to know the why because you know they're going to internalize that and eventually work your out of a job right yeah. like <laughs> you you can take the principles um, that you learn and start applying them yourself. So what, where does that come from? That innate sense of wanting to know why, you know, as a teacher, I, I can appreciate that. Um, but also what are the takeaways that you learned through this process to this point? I think wanting to know the why behind the workouts is exactly this idea of, you know, just in being a teacher, right? Like in teaching my students and, you know, this is, you know, here's, you know, your homework or here's what we're learning or here's what, you know, I'm asking you to do on this assessment and not just ever giving them something to do for, you know, this is your busy work or this is your filler, Mm -hmm. right? Like Mm -hmm. being able to go back and say, this is why this is important. This is the standard that we're focusing on. And so we're going to start here and these are your building blocks, right? And so just kind of having that same parallel, knowing that, you know, I'm not going to be given busy work as a runner. So I kind of want to know, why are you having me focus on this pace on these days? Why is it this pace here? So I like knowing the why behind things. um, Just because again, I think, you know, nothing is done just as a as a filler. And, And so 
keeps you motivated, keeps your buy-in strong, right? Exactly. It's like, okay, I'm all in because I know why, right? And especially for those days on, that are, you know, for me, the hard ones, those slow days, like, mm-hmm. okay, if I can understand the science and the why behind it, I don't feel like, you know, well, okay, I just have to go run slow because Carolyn told me to, you know, like I, I want to know that there's a reason. To <laughs> find all the excuses. Exactly. Like, yeah, yeah. This one doesn't matter. I'll just skip it. So yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Well, there's a purpose behind yes. every single run. And I yes. think the the more that can be translated to an athlete, the better, because mm-hmm. as Jason Fitzgerald says, knowledge is a competitive advantage, mm-hmm. right? But it, it goes both ways. Like the, the athlete, you don't have to know the why in order to get better as a runner. But I think if you want to know the why, I think that actually helps to expedite some of these learnings sure. at, so that they actually do translate into uh, improved performance. So mm-hmm. It's funny because we had you race that 5K and uh, so now you've got a 5K time and you've got a 10K time. And while it's so exciting on the one hand, it's also like, oh, right, I did that. And now that's my 5K pace. So when I go tell you to run 5K or pace or 10K pace, it's like <gasps> gulp. Exactly. Uh, that's not really my, <laughs> but at the same time, you were nailing workouts along the way to this half marathon. And I I went back and looked through our training. And so on April 20th, you did a workout that I was like, oh man, she is fit. I really think (laughs) that if we were marathon training, she could run a low 340 marathon. And at that point, your marathon PR, I think was 355. And I was Mm -hmm. like, yeah, but she's like everything, her 5k, her 10k, this workout on the way to the half marathon was lining up with a low 340. And I kept being like, how did that feel? Like, I always want the feeling of the workout. Like, do we have to scrape you off the pavement with a spatula? Or do (laughs) we are you like, whoo, I'm glad that's done. But I feel good, you know, and and you were always communicating, like, I feel good, you know, like that was hard, but I did it and I feel good. And so I was like, she's fit. And I really think like, this is, you know, eventually, if you go back to the marathon, you're going to be very, very happy. So that was from my end. Was Mm -hmm. there ever a turning point for you where you really felt like things were starting to click in training where you felt fit and where you thought that you would begin to uh, see these faster race times? Honestly, I think it that it was a turning point with that first 10K and just seeing that wow. time spurt out. And, and again, this idea of like, okay, this is, you know, with, you know, at that point it was three months, two months with you. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, you know, just <laughs> like that, okay, even, you know, hitting these workouts already. And if that's already what I'm capable of, like, if this became, you know, kind of a long term thing, or, you know, if we kind of continued with this idea, what could other races potentially turn into? And, you know, again, you know, if it were, you know, even to, let's say, focus on another 10k or try a 5k, right, just to, okay, mm-hmm. I know that I've done this, could we push the button a little bit more? So I think that was just a huge confidence boost for me. And then again, like you said, you were always communicating in those emails, you know, this is kind of putting you in, you know, this kind of time range, you know, I feel like maybe you've underperformed before in some of your previous races. And just, again, I think this idea with coaching is, you know, you have somebody that's, you know, your biggest supporter behind you kind of always rooting for you, but coming from like, you know, an honest spot. They're not going to be over, <laughs> like, you know, exaggerated, you know, they're going to be straightforward with you. But so to have you say, um, you know, I think you could be doing better in this kind of, again, planted that seed, like, okay, then 
I want to see what I could be capable of, right? I want to, so again, I think it was nailed with that 10K, um, but it just kind of, as we progressed and even, like I said, kind of started doing some of those longer runs and some of those half marathon workouts, it just kind of grew from there. Mm -hmm. Okay. So let's just remember where we are here in the training cycle. It's like April and May in Mexico, right? And so you would be writing me and like, you you would get, you're so dedicated and you'd get up at like four in the morning to like beat the heat and do this work, your workouts and your runs before work. Mm -hmm. And you were already battling heat and humidity, like on an almost daily basis. Like, I don't think it was ever ideal conditions for you starting around that April timeframe. Right. So unfortunately, you know, race day came and the, the weather gods did not (laughs) necessarily cooperate. Do you remember what it was that day? I don't even remember, but the humidity was, it was was like 97%. Yeah. I think (laughs) it was like you walk outside and you're already just (laughs) sweating. It was like running wrapped in saran wrap. It was terrible. So it was kind of like that for your 5k and 10k Mm -hmm. virtuals along the way, but you still ran a 152.03 half marathon in like a million degrees and all the humidity. (laughs) Right. And, and I think at, you had said, you know, you hadn't gone around one sub 150 in the longest time mm-hmm. up until then. So like, I know it wasn't the result that you were necessarily hoping for. Yeah. And even truly that your, your fitness indicated, like I kind of thought that you could do a 145 yeah. on mm-hmm. a, on an ideal day, but were you happy? Were you proud of yourself for, you know, putting in the training, even though you fell short of your stated goal? Oh, for sure that training cycle was so great. And like you said, so many of those hard workouts were executed. And I think, you know, looking back, there's nothing not to be proud of. I think, you know, the humbling thing about running, right, is, you know, all these (laughs) weeks of hard work in these training cycles ultimately come down to one day. And, you know, it, (laughs) it can either go your way or, you know, like, uh, for, for me, that, a uh, week leading up to it too. I remember it had been a really rough week with work. Um, mm-hmm. I was super just like thrown off with uh, news that I had gotten. And so I was like, just distraught and almost like crying every other day. And so I think I had mm-hmm. exhausted myself like mentally with work. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, the, with this extreme weather that we were feeling. So I don't honestly know that I was probably in the right place to be running uh, even that yeah. race even. So, um, but you know what? I still showed up. I still gave it what I had. Um, I remember my friend Doug again met me, I think at mile like eight or nine. And I was just like, you know, by that point, I was like, a 145 is way out the window. There is no way. But just again, you know, meeting up with him and again, having kind of someone new to kind of push and motivate me, that was a great point in that race for me. And it's just, you know, my husband was waiting at our finish line, our virtual finish line, you know, and knowing Mel that was running the race too. It's just, you know, sometimes it might not be the race that you want, but again, the weeks that I had put into it were all great. And there were people that showed up for me there. It was, it was still, there were still moments that were great about it. So even though it wasn't the time that I wanted, not everything automatically goes out the window with that. There you go. So I was just going to ask you what you learned during that race. You know, I think you referenced Melanie there and the title of her episode was The Value of Doing Hard Things, yep. right? <laughs> so 
am I putting words in your mouth to say that you learned that, you know what, even when it's not perfect, you can keep going, you can get the job done yeah, and you can enjoy the journey a little bit along exactly. the way, even, even coded in 97% of humidity. <laughs> you know, I, I just actually posted something yesterday. You just made me think of that exact thing that I posted. It was sometimes we just need to move as efficiently as we can in the situation we're in and enjoy the journey along the way. And so if the time result isn't necessarily what you wanted, mm-hmm. you know, you still completed it. And then it makes you appreciate those races that are the unicorns and rainbow races. Exactly. All that much more. Right. Yeah. And I think I think the next part of your story has one of those coming up. Does it not? <laughs> I think it does. We have another PR in the story coming yes. up. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So you took some time off after that half marathon. Yeah. Took the summer because like we weren't going to do any kind of hard training over the summer. And you came back to me in August, August. time frame to mm-hmm. train for bah, 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 bah. the Houston Marathon. Yes. And so we were kind of revisiting that marathon after you've spent some time really developing that speed. And it was a nice, healthy amount of time. It was about a, like almost a five month block of training. So what stands out to you about that training block? Again, how did it differ from some of the other ones that we had done previously? Well, you know, one thing for sure coming into that, um, you know, we had the half marathon and then, you know, we had the summer, um, Mm -hmm. but we had touched base too after the half marathon and um, knowing that, you know, we were probably going to plan to try for a winter marathon. So we had kind of made a plan, you know, this is what the summer training could look like. And it was really just Mm -hmm. focusing on keeping and maintaining that base, right? And so um, it wasn't necessarily about speed, again, going home for the summer, heat, humidity, just kind of, again, focusing on that slow running, right? Um, But then coming back um, and meeting with you and just, um, you know, really the training uh, at this point followed kind of those same um, days that we had been doing since, mm-hmm. you know, working for the 10 K right. You know, kind of a Monday getting out there with some strides, the Tuesday, the speed work, Wednesday recovery, Friday strides, and then Saturday long run. Um, so at that point I was used to that routine, mm-hmm. but, you know, adding in this time you had suggested focusing on, you know, some leg strength. And that was something that I had never done or, <laughs> uh, <laughs> was very new to and not very good at you know, it kind of followed that same pattern that I was used to. But um, again, those Tuesday kind of speed days weren't necessarily at the speed that we had focused on before would really Mm -hmm. be kind of the only difference. Yeah, I'd say that yeah. there was. And those long runs, right? We had to go Obviously, back to kind yes. of that marathon volume. Mm-hmm. And that was something we targeted because again, whenever I see someone like do pretty well at the 5K and the 10K and the half marathon and then kind of fall off a cliff when they get to the marathon, for me, it's usually a little bit of a, okay, I bet you there's they're not running enough volume. They're just not spending mm-hmm. the time on their feet where their aerobic system isn't fully developed. So that was kind of our working hypothesis I guess that we wanted to test out. And so, you know, we looked at some of your past training and like, what kind of volume did you get up to then? Because we don't want to jump you too much, right? You can't go from kindergarten to university <laughs> all at once, right? We got to do the next best thing. So, um, so we were, we were targeting, like we had some weeks where you got up into the mid 50 mile, like 
almost 100 kilometers a week, right? Yep. Which I thought would be just sort of that next step for you. And so on the way, though, I always have people like do another 5K. Of course I do. And so Mm -hmm. do you remember when when 16 weeks out from the marathon and I just had (laughs) you go out on a random Saturday and run a 5K? Do you remember uh, what you knocked out in the 5K then? I do. I ended up with a new PR. It ended as a 2105. 2105, yeah. <laughs> 6.45 per mile pace, yeah. somewhere right around there, which it was like almost 45 seconds faster mm-hmm. than your, your other one. So this is just like, you know, yeah. so again, I'm like, interesting. I wonder what <laughs> this is going to mean for the marathon. And again, you don't know, you don't know if it's going to fully translate, but we're like, okay, just another data point. Yeah. So we went through the 16 week training block. And we'll kind of, I mean, it was lots of volume, mm-hmm. <laughs> nothing glamorous. Like the workouts are just longer, right? They're yep. not as fast and they're quite a bit longer. And the the long runs, you got up to doing like a three hour, 15 long run, I think was, or did well, you go three and a half, three thirty, three thirty? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, so you yeah. almost went the distance mm-hmm. yeah, or the, the time yeah, on your right. feet. Yeah. 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 And so, but everything, I mean, I think in the entire training cycle, you might've had one workout that didn't go well. Like you just were knocking it out of the park week after week, after week, after week. And mm-hmm. I knew you were ready for something special. And then the week before the race <laughs> comes, you get oh. a stomach illness. <laughs> yes. Oh, I was so nervous. So in this whole idea of, you know, training for the Houston marathon, right? We're like, oh, it'll be in January. That'll be great. But of course, not even thinking of like, oh, that means that we have to train over Christmas, right? And so it's this idea of like, okay, well, that's fine. But I live here in Monterey where, you know, December is like, again, I don't do Celsius. So, you know, our, you know, 70 degrees, right? And then all of a sudden flying home and I was like, oh, (laughs) dang it, this is really cold. Or, you know, it's, we're in the middle of a blizzard. I think we got like three (laughs) blizzards while I was home. So that was interesting with the training, but then we flew back and we only had, by the time I flew back, it was literally a week left the final week of taper. And then we were going to leave. And the next weekend was the Houston marathon. And so I don't know what happened, if it was kind of the idea of the travel, if it was something with, um, you know, the the changes in temperature, if it was the stress of going back to school in the midst of Omicron Mm -hmm. and (laughs) all these cases are skyrocketing and not sure Mm -hmm. if we're going to be in person, hybrid, or if it was the race itself. But the final Monday before the race, I was hit with such an intense stomachache that I like, I couldn't even sit up. I was in so much pain. It was not good. Um, I had pretty much like lost my appetite. I could eat, but I just didn't want to. Not everything was staying in. (laughs) It was, it was really bad. I didn't even go to school. That final workout, that Tuesday workout didn't happen. The Wednesday recovery mm-hmm. run didn't happen. Nothing happened mm-hmm. on Thursday. I don't think I ran until we went to Houston. And so I was, of course, inside my head like, oh my God, I've had this perfect training cycle and <laughs> I threw it all away because of whatever this is. I was beside myself. I really thought that I wasn't going to be able to even make it to the start line. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But it's horrible that you had this horrendous stomach flu or whatever it was like, that's not a good thing. 
but your legs got an incredible rest <laughs> the week before yeah. the marathon. Exactly. And, you know, I always like to flip it like things don't happen to you. They happen for you. Right. Mm-hmm. So maybe you, your legs just needed that break because did they ever fly when you actually started running? <laughs> well, and I think that's what Carolyn tried to stress too. When I kind of reached out with her, I probably tried to downplay it in my message to you just being like, well, you know, I'm not really feeling that well. I don't think I can run when in my head I'm, you know, freaking out because I'm a worst case scenario kind of girl. Yeah. Yeah. And so I'm like, oh my God, I'm dying. But, um, (laughs) you know, I think she was just very positive as well. Like, oh, well, just think of it as a forced rest. Your legs are going to be fine. You're not going to lose any fitness. You know, there's nothing that you could gain in this last week, right? You know, as again, my friend Mel always likes to remind me the haze in the barn. So I think that was, you know, again, that was really important to hear. But, you know, sometimes that last week, right, things are in one ear and out the other. So I was like, yeah, but she doesn't get it. (laughs) (laughs) But then we had, I think we had our Zoom call that Thursday before the race. And so kind of, again, being able to have you walk me through kind of, okay, what is worst case scenario? What's best case scenario? What's going to happen, right? To be able to help calm those nerves. I think that was really important for me to kind of get my head back on straight and kind of get out of (laughs) this despair that I had built for myself and kind of get myself race focused again. And so you did thankfully come around yes. physically and, and I'm sure that that helped <laughs> mentally as well, right. To, to sort of get yourself in the right headspace. Mm-hmm. You've got the travel, like you guys flew there. You had to have the COVID. Like, it's just, yeah. as you say, like, it's hard to tease out really how much is mm-hmm. physical and how much is just like all this added stuff, right. Yeah. That you had to go through in that final month. That's already stressful enough yeah. before a marathon, the travel for Christmas coming back, Omicron, all of it. Right. And so anyway, you get to Houston. It's all good. So it's Sunday, January 16th. (laughs) We have got to hear all about this race day. You wake up. Oh, I know. I know the day before (laughs) because we talked and it was like windy as all get out. And we're like, oh no, the wind. But the day came and the wind had settled down a little bit. So talk to us about that morning of the race day walk us through your entire race execution. Oh, um, yeah. So we woke up. She's glowing, by the way. For anybody that can't see her right now, she's glowing. That's just the heater reflecting off of my face. (laughs) Um, So there were three of us that were running. It was my friend Melanie, Doug, and myself, all three of us whom Carolyn coach. So we had um, an apartment downtown. So we all woke up and we're a little bit freaking out because, again, the temperature was, you know, 30 two degrees, 34 degrees, way colder than we had expected. And we're going to race. So what do you wear? You don't want to bundle up, right? So, you know, putting on like a little tank top and shorts, I was like, I don't think this is the right choice. But you know, and then piling over the toss offs, right sweatshirts and sweatpants. And we just it was hilarious what we had come up with for for our throwaways. And then, yeah, you know, just being able to kind of eat our breakfast, walk down to the race, because it was only about a half mile away from the convention center where we were staying. And thank God for that convention center. Um, It was kind of a nice barricade because, again, the wind hadn't completely died down yet. It was still – so it was cold and windy. Um, So we got to hang out in there, kind of, you know, use the porta potties one last time. 
I want to say gate check the gear, but that's not the right yeah. word. Um, gear check. Gear che- oh, just gear check. Okay. So yeah. kind of all the sweatshirts and jackets and things. And then there were three or four different corrals. Um, so they kind of started calling out that, you know, corral A, you need to start making your way out there. And that I was in corral A. Doug was in B and Melanie was in C. We were all three in different corrals. Um, mm-hmm. So they kind of walked with me to corral A. And, you know, we said our good lucks and goodbyes from there. And then, you know, we're all shoot in to this corral. And at this point, you know, this is my first return to racing since February of 2020 in Austin, right? And so, so I'm a little bit emotional about this. Again, still kind of, you know, nervous. I've I was definitely much better with, you know, my stomach flu than I had been, but I still knew I wasn't 100%, right? And so that was still kind of niggling in the back of my mind, like, is this going to be okay? I think I even, you know, got a little bit teary-eyed during the the national anthem. And then the race gun went off. I had already tossed my sweatshirt and I didn't want to be caught up in anything. So I had taken off my sweatshirt and sweatpants beforehand, but I kept on these big, honking like Mickey Mouse gloves because I I was like, okay, I'll keep these on. And then eventually I know I'm going to toss them. I honestly, I kept them on for the whole race. I think maybe the last 10 K I finally took them off, (laughs) but yeah. And so then Carolyn's voice was in my head for the very beginning, like slow and steady. You want to make sure that we start this out at a much slower pace, a conservative pace to not go out too fast. And I know that's always been a mistake of mine in the past. And so that First, I think actually it was kind of a good thing that it was so cold just because I didn't really have a lot of, you know, I wasn't able to, to move my body too fast. But um, the I think that first mile even clipped in at like a nine minute mile. So it was even more conservative than we had planned on. But then the pieces kind of fell into place from there. And, you know, each mile kind of progressively got down to that marathon pace. And at that point, we had kind of made a plan, you know, like, Again, we don't really know what our secure goal could be. So we're kind of in this range. So, you know, like maybe let's try to hit around an 835. And then if you're feeling good, go towards an 825, right? And then anything that you have towards the end, you can give it. And so as, you know, the race kind of kept going, I was making sure that I was keeping towards an 830, 835 and just felt really good. And again, just I loved every minute of returning to real racing. Mm -hmm. (laughs) It was so worth the wait. I felt great and light on my feet and nothing felt like it was hard. And so kind of, we knew that there was like one hill in this whole race, mile 13, it was like an on-ramp to a highway. And so it literally went up, you're at the highest point where you kind of like got struck in the face with the wind and then it went straight down. And then I was like, okay, I think, you know, I'm at a point where maybe I can try to push the pace a little bit. So I kind of started clipping down to towards an 825 and 820. And I, again, everything just felt great. And then I hit the last 10K and I kind of had a bit of a runner's high and I was like, oh my gosh, this is amazing. I can't believe I've gotten to the, I've never gotten to this point of a marathon and still felt this good. And I was like, might as well push it a little bit more and started running about at half marathon pace. I had like two miles at a 750 and then I was like, oh, okay, nope, nope, <laughs> now my body's feeling it. And so the last 5K of the marathon were small little hills, but you know, after kind of running something that was so flat for that long, 
those got a little bit hard. So I definitely slowed down a little bit there. But then otherwise, like I knew I was going to crush the goal of a 345, which again, I had written on my hand for the whole week. Mm. And towards the end, there was this one woman that uh, was running beside me the whole time. And we just kind of used each other to kind of keep motivating. Mm. And, you know, we weren't talking with each other, but like we could keep each other in our vision, right? You always had kind of have that one person Mm -hmm. and we crossed together and she um, came over to me and she was like, I just want to let you know, like you were the reason that I was able to finish that. Like I was focusing on you. And so it was just this beautiful moment of like knowing that we had each been able to encourage each other to get to the finish line. Mm, She ran, she told me she was predicting herself as running a four hour marathon. So she just ran, she dropped like 20 minutes because I was able to run like a three 41. So yeah, so she dropped off like 20 minutes. So that was an amazing kind of like finish. Again, like these things that you miss when you're running virtually these people, the energy, the, the, you know, the friendly competition, the buildup. So it was just we cried, we embraced, even though we probably shouldn't because, you know, COVID. <laughs> but <laughs> already been sick. Exactly. At that point, you know, um, they were handing out the disposable masks. So it was yeah. fine. <laughs> um, and so, yeah, so I crossed in a 341 and I was just amazing right away, just like teary eyed and crying and so happy and so tired, like all in yeah. one. It was just like the full range of emotions. 341 and, and like your previous was 355. So Mm -hmm. you took 14 minutes off of your marathon, off of an already really good marathon. But what's interesting to me, and I just actually put this together, is that you ran the marathon faster than you had run your half Half marathon, marathon. the 152, right? Mm -hmm. So you, you doubled the distance and uh, increased the pace, which never happened. (laughs) (laughs) So that's absolutely amazing. Thank you. Well, Sarah, that was an amazing story of not just a marathon, but of an entire season and an evolution of a runner. Really, you really learned a lot. You trained well, you trained smart, you trusted yourself, you had patience to really execute an amazing race. And what a comeback after COVID. Like that first race after COVID is so special. It really is. And it just makes you appreciate the people around you so, so, so much more. So I have a question for you. This is the Inspired Souls podcast. So what does running fundamentally mean to you, Sarah? How does it inspire you? You know, it's honestly a way, I mean, it, it, it means many different things for me, depending on the day too. But, you know, ultimately, I think it's a way that I can continue to show up, that I can continue to perform. Again, you know, like we said, there are going to be the good days, there are going to be the bad days, but, you know, it's always going to be there and to be able to, you know, celebrate those highs and lows. And just, again, kind of just to help me prove that I can always continue on working on bettering myself and the running. Amazing. And and speaking of that, you are now not very far off your BQ. I think it's 335. (laughs) Is there any temptation to go for a Boston qualifier at some point or? Well, you and I maybe need to talk, but um, I might've had a moment of, again, like runner's weakness, runner's high. And um, I might've already signed up for my next marathon. (laughs) You heard it here first. I know. So it's not, it's the, I signed up for the California International Marathon. Oh, awesome. Uh And so. What a fantastic time of the year too. You won't have to train over Christmas. I know. And so um, I think the idea is that Mel and 
Doug are going to plan on running it as well, but my sister is going to run it too. And my sister is like crazy fast. So she and I will hopefully run it together and hopefully maybe, I mean, I don't know, this is like a huge dream, but yes, be able to qualify for Boston. That's like a huge, I don't know, we'll see, but that's definitely a temptation. Start writing it on your arm today, girl. Just get that big old Sharpie out. Exactly. You are knocking on the door. That is for sure. And I would not put it past you. You've laid some fantastic groundwork and I'm so excited to see what you do next, really. You're you're an uh, absolute like dream client and pleasure to coach. <laughs> Thank you. That is for sure. So should we hit up some rapid fire questions? Do we have a few Let's minutes to uh, yeah. So while you were running that marathon, did you have a uh, favorite mantra going through your mind during it? Yes. So the mantra that I actually use is I am a mother effing running superstar. <laughs> And for me, it's just one that works because again, if I'm not hitting paces or whatever, it's something that can build me up. If I'm kind of like in a tough mental state, it's something that makes me laugh. And honestly, if I'm having a bad run, just kind of saying the F word a couple times in my head gets me going, right? So it's one, it just makes me laugh. It makes me smile. It really works well when you're kind of hitting the grind in those last couple of miles, especially in the marathon, just to kind of, again, you need a smile on your face. You need to get yourself motivated. So that's that's always been my mantra. And I, I like that one. <laughs> if you see me smiling during a race, I might just be repeating the F word quite a few times in my head. But <laughs> that's awesome. So you've ran in a lot of incredible places in the world from the sounds of it. What is your favorite place to run? So I don't necessarily have so much as a favorite place as much as a favorite time to run. I love running early morning before a city really wakes up and just kind of being able to experience it, love watching the sunrise, kind of seeing, um, you know, the first signs of (laughs) morning. Um, To me, that's just always the most peaceful time. And it just kind of sets my day off, right? So, you know, if we're at the beach, especially like, you know, beach sunrises, but just again, wherever I am, I'm always an early morning runner. And it just makes me really happy to kind of be out as the day starts. Okay. Do you have a race on your bucket list? (laughs) Well, I think we kind of just mentioned, I mean, Boston has always been you know, a dream, even when I was first running that very first Missoula marathon, you know, that was always kind of something. So to be this much closer to a qualifying time, that definitely would be. Um, And I think, you know, any of the major marathons would be fun. I haven't run anything. And maybe at some point, Chicago would be really fun just because it is essentially my backyard. Yes. Mm -hmm. Yes. Maybe we can run it together. I'm planning 2023. So that could be really fun. Let's go. Okay. (laughs) You're going to have quite the posse of people in Chicago in 2023. (laughs) That is so true. (laughs) If everybody you've called out on this podcast (laughs) shows up. All of inspired souls. (laughs) It's going to be a party in Chicago. Yes, it could be our first meetup. (laughs) All right. Uh, Sarah, do you have a favorite running book or movie? So this is actually kind of embarrassing because I read literally hundreds of books a year. And I have realized like, I don't actually read that much about for as much as I love to talk about running, I don't read so much about running. But probably one that I read a couple years ago was uh, Dina Castor's uh, Let Your Mind Run. And that was kind of the first time being able to connect with, you know, the visualization point and just again, kind of this positive attitude, the mindset that matters so much with the running that really resonated with me at that point. Mm -hmm. 
Another I think it's book similarity. Has come up. Yeah, <laughs> it's come up at least ten times. Yeah, yeah, it's a classic. So for anybody that has not checked that book out yet here's another reminder to put it on your list. It's a good one. Mm-hmm. And here's a, a fun little fact that we didn't get to in this episode. Dina Castor's American marathon record actually went down yep. the day that you were running in Houston and it now belongs to Kira D'Amato, which is just, that stood for, oh gosh, like f- over 15 years, mm-hmm. I think. Wow. So she is one incredible runner and um, author <laughs> apparently. Yeah. Okay. Final question. Do you have a favorite post-run indulgence? Oh, absolutely. So I'm not much of a meat eater, but for some reason, any, you know, post race or post long run, I really always just want like a good hamburger and a Mm. glass of wine. So that is Mm. always, you know, whether it's a celebration or again, just, you know, a training run, hamburgers and a glass of wine is where it's at for me. You need the iron and the antioxidants. (laughs) There you go. Yes. Awesome. So this has just been incredible. You are, like I said, an absolute dream client in virtually (laughs) every way, right from your commitment, your dedication, those early morning runs are are super inspiring to me. Like I sometimes have trouble getting myself out the door and then I'm like, Sarah's probably already running, (laughs) just go do it. So it's very inspirational to watch you from afar again just for the listeners, we've never, ever met in person. This has all been an online relationship, but maybe we will meet uh, in Chicago someday. But thank you for giving me the pleasure and honor to be your coach over the last year. And thank you for sharing your story with our listeners. Of course. Thanks so much for everything. Honestly, like I can't say enough good things about being able to work with you and how you've helped me grow as a runner. And thanks so much for having me on and being able to talk about my experience. I appreciate it. 